Uh, I love that movie. What a great story. I, I, I decided to pick this movie because it's one of my favorite movies. It, I was 12 when it came out, 1994, and, but I, like, I was fascinated by this story, even as a 12-year-old, and it was because of Forrest, not even the love connection. And, like, I just loved this story that he lived out. Uh, and, and so my first pass at, at putting this clip together for this morning, it was, literally, it was 45 minutes long, and that was the clip I wanted to show you. Uh, but I, a lot of sacrifices were made, and I cut it back down to 20, so <laughs> that we weren't here all morning. So, uh, yeah, so I love Forrest, and I love, I love stories. Um, I, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I think stories have a way of bringing things to life that just words and facts can't do. There's something about a good story. Uh, and, and, and I love, I love movies as a result. And, and I, so I love this series at the movies. And, and I've never been able to do this part of it. And so I'm excited today to be able to just share with you some, some insight from my favorite movie. And the reason why I picked this, we're, we're kind of talking about, we're, we're taking movies and, and connecting them to Proverbs. And so we're talking about moving from foolishness to wisdom, right? And, and I think Forrest is a great picture of this because when the world looks at Forrest, they see an idiot. It comes up over and over throughout the movie. They look at Forrest and they just see an idiot. Uh, but yet, Forrest lives his life with a certain, uh, his own kind of proverbs, right? Uh, life is like a box of chocolates, stupid is as stupid does. He, he has like a wisdom that he lives his life by. And it separates him from the other characters that we see in this movie. His life produces something different than the other characters in this movie. And it's, and it's a great story as a result of this wisdom that he lives his life by. Uh, last week, Bill introduced you to Solomon. Uh, Solomon was a king, and, and he, he inherited his kingdom from his father at a really young age. And so he asked God for wisdom because he wanted to lead his kingdom well. And God granted him that request. Uh, and he wrote this book. Uh, we know it as Proverbs. And it was kind of his ode to wisdom. It was everything he knew about wisdom. He wanted to pass it on to future generations. And so he wrote this book called Proverbs. And this is kind of the thesis statement of the book. Uh, it goes something like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so what we see here, kind of the basis of this, this idea of wisdom, is that, that it's a struggle. There's a tension there. There's a push and a pull. There's this side sees it this way, and this side sees it kind of the exact opposite, right? What's, what seems right to one, is, is, it doesn't seem right to the other side. Fool and wise. Uh, Paul writes a, a letter to the church in Corinth much later. He says it this way, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So again, we have that, that tension, that push and pull, that struggle. It's this versus that. This, in this verse, he's talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. And there's this, the way this sees it is the opposite of the way this sees it. Uh, and so I want to kind of break this down a little bit, this tension between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. But I want to be careful um, because I feel like the church, Christians, kind of get down on the world a lot, right? Uh, I grew up in the church. My, my dad is a pastor, so I grew up going to church all the time. Uh, and I would always hear this phrase, be in the world, but not of the world. Did anybody ever hear that? Be in the world, but not of the world. And, and, and I feel like there was this real negative connotation that went with it with like, you know, we, we want, we're kind of, we're born, right? We're here, <laughs> and we're alive, and we're die someday, and that'll be good. But like while we're here, it's like, 
don't touch anything, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, just, just try your best to just stay out of it, you know. And, and so it becomes Christian versus non-Christian. Like, don't, as Christians, let's just not associate ourselves with Christ, non-Christian things. Like, you know, don't listen to secular music. Don't go to radar movies. Don't, you know, drink. Don't party. Don't do all, you know, play card games. Don't dance. I mean, it's all this stuff, and it's like, like, just don't do those things, and you'll be okay. Well, what happens when we disassociate ourselves with non-Christian things? We begin to disassociate ourselves from non-Christian people as well. And we kind of build ourselves back into this corner where all we surround ourselves with are things that look and act and sound and believe like us. And it kind of creates this Christian bubble, if you will. And, and, and so, being the skeptical person that I am. I'm, I'm a really skeptical person. I never just believe anything right off the bat. I always have to like question things and like, wait a minute, what about this? And so I never really bought into this idea. I was like, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like there's something off with it. And so I did a little digging as I became older, and I found this verse that I think just helps us create like a little bit of a, of a definition of what we're really talking about here. This is 1 John two fifteen through 17. This comes from the message. I love the way the message puts this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. So, so let's break this down a little bit. Uh, I, I feel like this is a good working definition for the world as we're kind of unpacking this today. Uh, so we'll start, you know, with the world. Uh, and then it gives us three pretty clear things. Wanting your own way. So we'll, we'll call that selfishness. Selfishness. Too many letters. Uh, wanting everything for yourself, we'll call that greed. Uh, and then wanting to appear important. This is kind of like a lust or a longing for power or fame. You know what I mean? Like we just want to look good, right? Uh, and so when you, when you look at this, like, these are kind of like big words. And, and you don't, it doesn't feel good to associate yourself with them. But, but if we break it down a little bit more, I think really it comes down to this, this way of life is all about me. It's all about me. Uh, and when I start to break it down like that, it, it does kind of make sense. You know, like, I do have that struggle in me. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but when I got married, it was tough. Uh, you know, because I had 27 years of making decisions for myself. Uh, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? You know, where do I want to go? What do I want to eat? What do I want to watch on TV? I mean, just every decision was like, I just made it for myself. And then I have, now I have this person next to me forever <laughs> uh, that... I have to, like, make decisions and have her in mind with that. You know what I mean? And, like, all of a sudden the decisions I'm making are not just about me. They're about this other person as well. And, and then you add a couple kids to that, and it's really quickly, like, your life becomes very little about you and very much about these other people. And it's hard. It was a struggle for me. I don't know. Maybe you're, like, got it down. But for me it was a struggle. Uh, because really, like... My life was kind of just all about me. I think about my career even, like, like I, I, I always ask the question, like, what do I, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Like, that whole, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. You know what I mean? And I think that there's this part of me that, like, what I'm longing for is, like, I want to do something important. 
I want to be noticed. I want some, someone to go someday like, man, Brian, he did, he made an impact on this world. It's all about me, you know? Like, and so I try to control that. I try to control that thing. Or, or finances. I want to know that all my hard work for all these years is going to result in like, I can be like comfortable someday, <laughs> you know? Because it's all about me. It's all about me and what makes me feel good. Uh, even that Christian bubble, that whole idea of the Christian bubble, it almost becomes like that's kind of all about me too because it's about my comfort and my just like making it through this life. It's safe. Uh, and so when we break it down this way, it's, you know, it's not, it's not Christian versus non-Christian, right? Because I, I actually know a lot of Christians, including myself, who end up looking a lot like that. So it's not Christian versus non-Christian. And, and the problem with living your life this way uh, that it's all about me, is that it never satisfies, right? This is, this is Lieutenant Dan's story. This is Jenny's story. They're just constantly searching for something, but they never get anywhere. It never satisfies. Uh, so Solomon wrote Proverbs, wisest man who ever lived. He even experienced this himself. So he, he, he eventually, like, he loses sight of God for a while. Uh, and, and, and he actually uses women to gain power. He, he would go to surrounding kingdoms and marry the daughter of the kings in these kingdoms to form treaties with them. So he would literally marry the daughter to expand his kingdom. He ended up with 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, he, he allowed himself everything, every pleasure, every luxury. So by the end of his life, he was the most rich and powerful man in, in, at the time, or one of them, you know, one of the most rich and powerful men at the time. And so at the end of his life, he writes a different book. It's called Ecclesiastes. And it's like a memoir. So he looks back on his life, and he writes what he's learned from it now. And the thesis statement for that book is something like, all is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. It doesn't lead anywhere. You know, like, I allowed myself everything, and it didn't get me anywhere. So, so Forrest is kind of the contra- the Contrary, Contra- he's the contrast to this this whole guy, you know. Uh, and so his most famous proverb that he says in the movie is "stupid as a stupid does," right? And and I at first, like when, when I was younger, I always thought it was almost like a sticks and stones may hurt my bones kind of thing, like just like hey, shut up, man. Uh, but really, like what I think, I think it's a really profound statement that he's saying, and and, and it's that stupidity is not measured on what you know. It's on what your life produces. And so wisdom is not just about what you know, and this is what we see in Solomon's life. It's about what you do. And so let's, let's look at the, the contrast of this. Okay, so we've got the world. So over here we're going to do God now, right? And uh, we're just going to use these to kind of go over here. So selfishness, the opposite of selfishness is selflessness. Selflessness, Okay. Uh, opposite of greed, we're going to use generosity. And the opposite of power, we're going to use humility. Humility. There we go. All right, and so when we look at this, this is because we're talking about that contrast, right? It's this side sees it this way, this side sees it this way. So it's just the opposite of this. And when we talk about this, then now we end up with this, this way of life is all about we. It, it leaves room for more than just me. It's about looking at others and considering others as, as we live our lives. Uh, as I was preparing this talk, 
you know, I was just looking for stories and different examples I could share, and I happened to listen to this podcast, and, and the story I heard was so profound. It was, it was about a man named Scott Harrison, who is the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called Charity Water. Uh, and his, I, I had heard of Charity Water, but I'd never heard his story, and his story is amazing. It, it goes like this. He grew up in a Christian home, grew up with a Christian, going to church and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then he got out of high school, and he rebelled from that. So he moved to New York City, and he became a nightclub promoter. And a nightclub promoter's job is to get people in the club. So you get the, the best-looking, the most famous, the most wealthy people in the club, and then they pay you a lot of money, and they let you party with your friends for free. And this is his job. He does it for 10 years. Throughout the course of this 10 years, he develops every kind of addiction you can have. He's addicted to sex, to drugs, to alcohol, uh, strip clubs, pornography. Uh, he even said gambling. I mean, he just developed all these vices. And, and so then at the end of this 10 years, he kind of has this wake-up call moment in his life where he looks at his life and he, and he realizes that it's not heading anywhere. And, and he literally thinks, like, man, if I keep going like this, the only legacy that I will leave on this world is that I got a million people wasted. That will be, like, my tombstone will read, Scott Harrison, I got a million people wasted, right? Uh, and so, so he, he kind of has this wake-up moment, and he decides, he's still, he's still partying, but during the day, hungover, he starts reading the Bible and reading this book, Pursuing God by Tozer. And it's in this, like, struggle that he's in, he, he decides that he's going to tithe a tenth of his years that he spent living just for me, He's going to tie the tenth of that to God. So he's going to spend one year serving others. And that's all he knows. So he, he applies for this position. He's a volunteer for a, an organization called Mercy Ships. And Mercy Ships takes doctors, and they go down the coast of Africa, and they provide health care, do, do procedures for, for people who don't have access to health care. So he's not a doctor. So he goes in, and his job is to take pictures and tell the stories of the people that they're helping. And so what he realizes, like the, the thing that's like the common thing with all these people that have all these medical problems is that they don't have access to clean water. And these people would walk all day, a lot of them, women, walk all day to go and get dirty water and not enough of it. And he, it changed him. So he comes home from this year that he tied to God, goes back to all his nightclub friends, and, and, and instead of being like, hey, let's go party, he says, hey, Look at these pictures of these people that I took. we got to do something about it. And some of them just thought he was crazy. Some of them literally thought he was just using it to, to get chicks because that was like what his life was so much about, right? Uh, but, but then some of them went along with it, and they built this organization called Charity Water. And so now he's living a completely different story. And the way this story is heading, what it's heading to currently, they've been doing it for 10 years. Currently, they have provided clean water locally, like in the village, for five million people who didn't have access to water before. So he went from being afraid that all he was going to do was get a million people wasted to now five million people have water because of this, this change in his story that he, that he ex- experienced. And so it's kind of like this. So we're going we're gonna to break it down a little bit. We're going to give this guy a little hat. And he's got a sad face. Uh, and then this guy gets a hat. And then, of course, he gets a smiley face. Um, and so this kind of becomes like the embodiment of, of these different ideals, right? And in the middle, we have life. And life represents 
you know, everything from humanity to relationships to our marriages, our, our kids, our families, our every, you know, money, resources, everything that there is to offer in life. And, and this person looks at that and he wonders, what is this going to do for me? What can I get out of it? It's kind of this inward focus. And then this person looks at it and goes, what can I do to help? How can, be a part, how can I be a part of this? How can I contribute? How can I pour myself out? This outward focus on life. And so it's, you know, it's, kind of, it's like the American dream versus the golden rule. The American dream, the, the look out for me and mine, look out for number one. You know, it's just me that matters to, to the golden rule, which is do unto others, love your neighbor as yourself, pour yourself out for others, right? And I wonder, what, what would this do if we, you know, if we started to change the way we looked at these different things in life and had a more outward focus on it? You know, so marriages, you know, I think a lot of times when I struggle in my marriage, it's because I'm looking at that person going like, what are you doing for me? What is this relationship really doing for me? What am I getting out of it? Instead of looking at that person across from me and saying, how am I loving her the best that I can? How am I setting her up to succeed in life? How am I pouring myself out for that person? Or like, like our family, right? Our, you know, what, are, what, are we teaching, what am I teaching my kids about how to live life best? Am, am I getting it in their head that it's about them? That life really is all about them? Because they're going to take that on. Or, or am I communicating something that says, no, we're a part of this larger thing, and we want to have this posture that is outwardly focused. And I wonder, you know, like, like foster care, you know, like there's so many displaced kids in this world, and I just feel like, you know, as Christians with families that are somewhat intact, maybe, you know, like what would it look like if we opened up our, ho- our homes for these kids that are displaced? Would they experience what those, those people in Africa experience when they get water for the first time? In their village, would, would those kids experience that if we allowed them to come into our home and gave them that, that fresh water of life? Uh, or even just our home in general. So I have a friend named Mark who lived in kind of an under-resourced area, and he would sit on the porch at night, and he would see just people all around him just in despair and, like, just sad and, like, kids just didn't have good homes to go home to. And he decided to open up his house. So he started this, this organization called Jacob's Well. And literally the idea is, what would it look like to have a house in a neighborhood that is like a well in Africa, a source of life for that neighborhood? And to invite people into it. How would this change things? And so, again, I don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having things, having money, having homes, families, all that stuff. All this stuff in here is good stuff. It's how are we positioned with it. Are we wondering what we can get out of it for me or what I can do to contribute to it? So the question is, I want you to just kind of take an inventory of your life, right? I gave you a couple examples from my life, but what are those areas in your life where you have an inward focus? What are those areas that are like, no, that's off limits, that's for me, you know? What are those things? And how could you start to like change that, to kind of pry it open. Because this is kind of like a magnet, right? It's like a magnet and it's pulling us. It's always pulling us. It's got a gravitational pull to it. And so, you know, what is that thing? What, what, is, what is wisdom calling you to? What is your charity water that's going to just totally change the course of your story? Uh, so for me, in all of this, you know, charity water stuff, doing all the research, he, he convinced me it's good, it's really cool. 100% of what they raise goes to, to literally like putting a well in a village. Uh, 
And, and so they do, the, the whole idea is that they do these campaigns so you can run, people pledge you, you can climb a mountain, whatever. But their biggest thing is they do birthdays. So my birthday happens to be a month from Friday, this past Friday. It's a month from this past Friday, September 7th. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, and so as I'm reading all this stuff, I was like, I got to do it. I got to do it. And so I want to invite you guys to be a part of it. So I got a website right here, mycharitywater.org slash Brian-Marine. Uh, I know you guys probably weren't going to give me a birthday present. At least not all of you. I was expecting it from some of you, maybe. But anyway, the whole idea is, because of where I was born, I have been given access to lots of things uh, that make my life really good. And so for this year, I want to, instead of giving me things, I want to send that to some place where they don't have access to that. And so the whole idea is, I'm turning 33, so I'm asking for 100 people to give $33 to this, and that's about a third of what they need to build a well. So maybe we'll get 300 people, and we'll get a whole well. And they actually literally they show you on Google Maps where your well is, and it's really awesome. So do that just as a little side thing for me. Because this is the thing. i got to do stuff that, like, it gets me moving towards that other side, right? Because otherwise it just pulls me back. And if I'm honest, I find myself losing this battle more often than I'm winning it. Anybody with me? I end up feeling more like a Jenny or a Lieutenant Dan than I do like a Forrest, right? I mean, because it's just like, oh, it's just so defeating. But here's the, here's the thing, and I don't want you to miss this. This is like, this is the whole point of this video clip for me. The whole point of this is not be less like Jenny and more like Forrest and your life will be happy. The point of all of this is that Forrest represents Jesus, Forrest, in his, in, in, he's kind of embodiment of this. In, in this story, he represents Jesus. And his pursuit of Jenny, his love of Jenny, it, it's very reminiscent of how Jesus loves and pursues us. So, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when every time Forrest and Jenny would end up together throughout this movie, he would, it, would, like the whole, it would always be like the same thing. First of all, he would always beat up whatever guy she was with. <laughs> and, and these guys kind of represent like that pull away. You know what I mean? These guys are like pulling her away from him. Uh, so he'd beat up the guy, and then he'd say, Jenny, I love you. Come home with me. That was always the invitation. I don't care what you've done. I don't, know where, I don't care where you're at. I love you. Come home with me. Be with me. Live by my side. And she'd never take him up on it. And then there's the scene with Lieutenant Dan in his apartment, and he's drinking. <laughs> it's such a sad scene, you know, because Forrest saves him, rescues him from dying, and then he's living his life in, like he's dead. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and Forrest, he sits there, but he doesn't, he doesn't care about how he's living his life currently. He just sees, there could be so much more for you. Come, be with, come work with me on my boat. Come experience life differently than this. And he does, and that's what he makes his peace with God. I always wonder when I watch this movie, because it's, it's the storyline of, of Forrest and Jenny is so sad, right? I mean, it's a beautiful story, but it's also it's so sad. And I always wondered, what would have happened to Jenny's story if she would have never left Forrest? You know, like, what would have happened to her story if she never would have left him? What adventures would she have been able to go on with him? What heartache would she have saved herself from? if she would have been by his side for, for her life? How would her life have started to reflect his just by being with him and start to turn more outward focused? How would, th- how, how would her story have changed? And so this is, this is the question 
for you today. Uh, I, I have uh, the, the, the last scene, one of the last scenes in the movie, um, which I showed you, it, it's Jenny, she does come home, and she has this season where she lives with Forrest, and we get a glimpse of what that life would have been like, right? And what's that life? That life was like flowers in the morning, and gifts, and dancing, and fireworks, and they became like family, and then he asks her to marry him, and she sneaks out in the morning. And the cab driver says, what are you running from? And this is the question I have for you guys today. Is, and it's the question I have to ask myself is, what are you running from? What are you afraid of? Why don't you trust that love? You know, when we look at Forrest, it's so clear that he loves her. And it's so clear that this life that he has for her is way better than the life that, that she's living. And this is what Jesus offers to us, a better life. And he doesn't want us to change. He just wants us to be with him. And being with him might just change the course of our stories. So Scott Harrison, he didn't come up with this on his own. This was not his imagination. He gave a year to God. And it was through that year that God changed the course of his story. Right? How, does, how could Jesus change your story today? And so this is the invitation. Jesus is standing here in front of you whether you've been, been around this whole idea for a long time of Christianity and Jesus, or whether today is the first day you've ever heard of this. I know I needed this this week, and here's the invitation. Jesus is standing in front of you saying, I love you. Come home with me. Be with me. I don't want you to do anything except for just be with me. And I wonder how that would change your story. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I just, uh, I thank you for your love, for your pursuit. God, for this story that just, it just, I don't know, it just illustrates that point so well. God, that what you want from us is not behavior that is different. What you want from us is just for us to be with you, to have a relationship with you. And God, I wonder what we would do if we fully opened ourselves up to that. How would that change us? How would that make our our stories, stories that are worth telling? So Jesus, we confess today that we struggle with this whole tension uh, of, of, of your wisdom versus the world's. And that often we find ourselves on the losing side of that battle. And we think our lives are all about me. And God, we, we, we just want to come home today. We just want to come home. And we want to live a story that is different. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.